again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We are pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Well, good morning. So glad you're here. Um, We're in the fourth week of a five-week series, as you just saw, called Love Where You Live. And uh, just as a a reminder, I think the video does a great job of of saying this, but I'll just say the purpose of this series is to enter into this reality, this, this truth that you are in a place, you're in a neighborhood, you work somewhere, you live somewhere, you do life somewhere, and where that place is matters. It's not by accident. It's, uh, it's all a part of God's providential work in your life, his sovereignty of putting you where you are. And for us to be able to begin to explore the questions that come with, well, what am I going to do with that? How am I going to be a part of God's redemptive work, his kingdom coming to bear through me in the places that I am or in the place, really, that I am, where I live, where I work, where I play? Uh, let me pray for us real quickly. Uh, like Randy said in his prayer, I, I really think that this topic this morning is one that uh, is going to make some of us uncomfortable, but I think it is exactly where God is leading us and wanting us to go, not just this morning, but in the future of our church. So um, let me pray and then we'll, we'll get started. Father, thanks for this time this morning. And as we pray each week, we count it a great privilege to come before you to open your word and to believe what your word says about itself, that it is living and active, that it uh, will not return void. And so this morning, as we enter into these scriptures together, would you, would you bless this time? Would you open our, our eyes to see you and your beauty, our ears to hear you and your truth? Would you soften our hearts to be receptive to what you would have for us this morning? And Father, for me, would you use me simply as your vessel that, uh, that my lips would, would drip with your compassion, with your love, with your grace, with your truth in a way that would be beneficial for all of us, including myself. Because as we just sang, it's your breath in our lungs. So may it be your breath this morning as, as we enter into this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start us with a quick story that happened uh, maybe, I don't know, two months ago, a month and a half ago for me. Um, I was on my way to pick up my daughter from gymnastics, and I had driven this road many, many times, and for whatever reason, I don't know if it was because I was tired or maybe I was just so into the music that I was listening to in the moment, I'm not sure what happened, but as I turned right on this road that, uh, that her gym is on, her gym, you turn right and her gym is just up on the left, I, I was absolutely convinced that I had a middle lane to turn in, you know, to pull into as a turning lane to turn left. Again, I've driven this road many times, but I pull into what I perceive to be the middle lane, and there's a car coming at me, and me, again, knowing that I'm right, I'm thinking, what is this guy doing? Does he not know this is a turn lane? Where is he going? What's he doing? So as he gets closer and closer and closer as a good Atlanta driver, I lay on my horn, and I'm just giving it to him. And then as he, thankfully, there's a shoulder to the right, he gets off on the shoulder and goes around me. And as he goes by, I do this number. (laughs) What are are you doing? (laughs) To which he gives me the same thing. (laughs) 
what are you doing? So I go in, I pick my daughter up, and, you know, 15 minutes later, we come out. We're coming out of the parking lot, and to my horror, I realize this is a two-lane road. There is no middle lane. I had gotten into his lane, laid on my horn, made him run off the road, and then went. I felt bad, to say the least. I use that story to say this, we, we can do that in life with a lot of things, things that we're absolutely convinced I'm right about, and perhaps not see some blind spots of where we have, we've really missed it, we've really missed it, where we will even look at others and go, what are you doing, when in fact the Lord is really in that moment very gently, very persistently, and sometimes painfully prodding us. What about you? Stop looking at them. What about you? Here's the point. We all, every single one of us, not not one person is exempt. Every single one of us, the nature of the human heart is that we carry around with us presuppositions about other people, other groups, other organizations, even other churches, We carry around judgments, even, dare I say, prejudices, where we label people and groups and things before we ever even move towards them. Here's an exercise that maybe will draw some of this out for us. This is something that Bob Carter, who's on our staff here, one of our pastors here and our staff chaplain, was leading us in prayer Tuesday morning as a staff. And he did this, and I thought, this is so good. It was so convicting but it was so good, I'm going to use this on Sunday. And he simply did this. He just read out some different categories of people or types of people or groups or whatever. And then he just said, what, what immediately comes to the surface of your heart or your mind as soon as you hear that? And you realize, whoa, I've got some blind spots that I'm not even recognizing of ways that I carry presuppositions and judgments of other people and other groups that I don't even recognize. So here's a, here's a few of them. People with tattoos. Do you mean, what do you think? People who only eat organic or vegan. Or that guy who always brags about how big of a steak he just ate. On the flip side, right? If you are vegan, maybe you have a quick thought about him. How about people who orient their entire Saturday around a football game? And you think that's ridiculous. Or you think it's ridiculous that they didn't orient their entire Saturday around a football game. What about people who are on social media and you think, man, they are in the vice grips of our cultural decay and they don't know how to have a real conversation because they want to, all they want to do is banter on social media? Or maybe what about the people who aren't on social media and you think, get with the times, man? What about the people who only watch Fox News? What about the people who only watch CNN or MSNBC? What about the people that are Trump supporters, Hillary supporters. Quick presuppositions, quick judgments, quick conclusions. Some more serious ones. What about someone you know as Muslim? What about someone who's transgender or gay? 
quick judgments, quick presuppositions, quick prejudices, even to the extent that we struggle with loving where we live and the people where we live. We, we struggle with even beginning to love them because of these presuppositions and judgments that we carry with us that we often don't even realize that we're carrying. It's really hard to move towards people who don't fit into my paradigms of life if I won't even take the first step of moving towards them in the way that Jesus has moved towards me. That's where we're going this morning. We're going to look at some text of, of the early church, a really profound, amazing church in Antioch where they were breaking all kinds of barriers through the power of the gospel and were standing in a culture so uniquely and so differently than the world around them that the people watching actually gave them a new name in the church of Antioch. Let me just say this before we look at the text. We're, we're not entering into this subject this morning as a teaching team. We're not, we're not doing this because it's a hot political or cultural issue right now and has been for many decades. We're, we're not doing that. We're doing it because it's a gospel issue. It's a hot gospel issue. It's an issue where if we want to be in line with the kingdom of God and what God desires for his people, then we have to have these conversations. We have to look at it biblically. So with that, turn with me to Acts 11. Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 19 through 26. And then I'm going to read a few verses out of 13, 1 through 3. Acts 11, 19 says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Now let me just stop right there and say uh, that comes from Acts 7. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. He had proclaimed the gospel boldly and as a result had been killed by the Jews who had rejected Christ, those who were in leadership, and uh, they had stoned him to death. And so as a result of that, what happened is that the, the Jewish Christians who were a part of the early church were then, because of the persecution that came as a result of Stephen's death, were dispersed, dispersed to regions all around uh, where, where they were there in Jerusalem. And so it says that they were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, and they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But, verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. That's, that's Paul, before his name was changed. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That's what I was alluding to earlier. They started calling them Christians because they looked at these people and they said, these are little Christs, little, little Jesuses, literally, who have come to us in this place and they are so unique, they're so different. Now, this church was 
like it says in the text, it was in Antioch. Let me tell you a little bit about Antioch. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, probably about 300,000 folks. It was a city that was renowned for its cult prostitution and gross immorality. Deeply, deeply a wicked place. And it's in this context that God creates a church. And like I've mentioned, not just a church that would just kind of mesh to the culture around it, but a church that would be unique and different, that wouldn't swim with the current of the culture, but would, would swim with the current of the kingdom and bring the gospel to people who up until that point, the leaders of the church had said they're not worthy of our gospel. This church was an amazing church. What made it amazing? Let me give you three things. Three things that made this church so amazing. First, a church, this was a church that was born of radical love. Look back at verse 20, 11, 20. They've been scattered. They've gone to Cyprus and Phoenicia and Antioch. And it says this, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's why that's significant, and here's why that's a demonstration of, of the radical love of Jesus. It tells us in verse 19 that when this group was dispersed, these are Jewish Christians, and so they are following in line with their leaders, with Peter primarily, who Peter up until this point, until the previous chapter, had, had been living and acting as though that the gospel was only for the Jew, was primarily for the Jew and no one else, because he was a great Jewish Christian. And what you see with Peter, what happens is he gets to Acts chapter 10, and we see this encounter happen with, with Peter where he is, uh, he's in Joppa, and he gets a vision where God puts this vision before him, and, the, and the, the whole thrust of the vision was simply to say this, don't declare unclean what I have declared to be clean, meaning don't sit back and not take the gospel to all these other people groups that I have ordained it for. And then there was this man, Cornelius, who was in Caesarea about an hour up the road on the, on the Mediterranean coast, and he also is told by God to bring Peter to him. And so he sends men to go get Peter. Peter comes. Peter preaches the gospel to this Gentile, this non-Jew household, and the Holy Spirit falls upon, upon Cornelius and his family, and they're saved. Now, as we read in our text, the Jerusalem church hears about this, and they're a little bit concerned because they're going, well, hold on, this, the gospel's for these folks as well, and so they send Barnabas to them as their, as their spy. Check things out for us, Barnabas. And Barnabas goes, and he sees, man, this is good. Now, these Jews that we read about going to Antioch are still in the mindset of that this is only for the Jews, except for this one group that we are told about in, chapter, in uh, verse 20. There's a group of men that branch off to some degree, we don't know, but they branch off from this group who's come to Antioch as Christians and they take the gospel to people who are very different from them. They take the gospel to people that, into an uncommon place with an uncommon people, meaning it was foreign to them. It was unique, it was different, it was outside their comfort zone. I'm sure it was hard. But they looked at these image bearers and they looked at the gospel of Jesus Christ and the unity that is proclaimed in Christ. And they said, who are we to keep the gospel from these folks? And so this was a, this was a church based out of radical love for the people around them. Secondly, this was a church filled with missionary zeal. What, I'm just going to spend a quick point on this one, but you'll see in verses 21 and 24. And then in a little bit, we're going to read 
the first three verses of chapter 13, but what you're going to see is, what you see in those verses is that lots of people came to faith, which tells me that this was a group of people, ordinary people. Remember, this is not, these are not the apostles. These are just ordinary, nameless people who are used extraordinarily by God to bring lots of people into the kingdom. We're told in two different places, in verse 21 and in verse 24, that many people came to faith. And then we're told in chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, that they send Paul and Barnabas, Saul, as his name has not changed yet, they send them out. Let's read that real quick. Look at verse 13, verses 2 and 3. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the first example of a church in Acts, in the Acts of the early church. That's what Acts means. The Acts of the early church is the first example we have of a missionary sending church. You go from here into the nations around us into the groups around us, into the people around us, and all the different Gentile people, and proclaim the gospel. Thirdly, and this is where we're really hitting on today, this was a church marked by redemptive unity. Look at 13.1, it says this, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, why would Luke, Luke is the, the author of, of Acts, why would Luke want us to know these five names and where they came from and who they are? He's just told us about this group of Christians that have gone to Antioch, and he hasn't pointed out necessarily who those were. He's left them nameless, but he wants to, us to know and make sure that we know that there were five leaders of this church. Why? Here's why. Think about this. Barnabas was a Jew of such qualifications that the Jerusalem church sent him out as their eyes and ears. So this is a man that's steeped in religious background, and it was a faithful Jewish Christian, a great man of respect, filled with the Holy Spirit, and a good man, as chapter 11 says. But then, listen to this. Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger is Latin for black. Most scholars agree that Luke describes him in this way to draw attention to the fact that he is a black man, most likely from Africa. Then there's Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene was on the north coast of Africa. This is another black man. Then you've got Manan, who uh, is, is really uh, the oddest one of the bunch because it's, it's, think about where he is coming from. Look at what it says. It says that, that he is described as the lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Who was Herod the Tetrarch? He's, this is the same Herod who killed John the Baptist and approved of the crucifixion of Jesus. The same Herod in Luke 13 that Jesus called a fox because he was so deceitful. And, there, and here's this lifelong friend where the gospel had clearly missed the heart of Herod the Tetrarch, but somehow found the heart of this lifelong friend. And now he's a leader of the church in Antioch, this pagan, this Roman pagan. And then you've got Saul who had become the Apostle Paul, this great persecutor of the church, who oversaw the stoning of Stephen. This is who your leaders are. What a diverse group. Humanly speaking, these people should not be united. There are such uncommonalities, if that's a word. There are so many things that 
they don't have in common and they come from different places and different backgrounds and different cultures and different contexts and different experiences. But yet the gospel comes into their life in such a way and Jesus invades their hearts in such a way to where they move towards each other and actually experience great unity to lead God's people in a redemptive way in the place where they are. Tony Evans makes a great quote. He says, the gospel of racial unity and reconciliation is not sameness of being. What what these men were not doing is saying, okay, my background doesn't matter anymore. My culture doesn't matter anymore. My ethnicity doesn't matter anymore. Let's all just act and be exactly the same and just embrace one new type of culture. No, everything about them still mattered and was embraced, but there was a unity and purpose. It's not this sameness of of being, but this oneness, this unity of purpose. We have our eyes set on the same thing, and that thing is Jesus and his kingdom. And so, yes, there's uniqueness among us. Yes, there's difference among us, but we're united through the cross. And we embrace each other in a way that the world looks at and goes, what? Listen to this quote from Rodney Stark who's written extensively on the early church. He says this, The gospel advanced as the Greco-Roman world stood in awe of the people who formerly hated each other because of ethnic distinctions, who now loved each other as family and worshiped and served together in the name of Jesus. I love that. I love that. That's what the gospel does. This is the passion in the heart of our God, our great king, is to unite people in a redemptive way to where the world watching looks and says, we've got to come up with a new name for these folks. They're so unique and they're so different, but I look at it and I just go, wow, this can only be explained by by the hand of God. How do we explain this church? How could such a church be explained? Listen, I'm not going to, in the earlier hour, I I actually read through most of these texts and it just took way too long. Here were my two points, simply this. How do you you explain this church and and the attitude behind the work that's happening through this church in Antioch? The first one is this. This is not unique in the book of Acts necessarily. The thread of of the book of Acts is that this is what the Holy Spirit's been doing throughout the whole book. You've got Acts 2 at Pentecost. You've got Acts 8 where the Samaritans receive the gospel. You have Acts 10 that we just talked about, where the Gentiles receive the gospel. Then you've got Acts 15, where, uh, where they actually, for the first time together, as a leadership of the church of Jerusalem, say that there's equality between Jew and Gentile under the gospel. And then you've got the whole missionary journeys of Paul throughout the rest of the book of Acts, where he is going to Gentile city after Gentile city after Gentile city, proclaiming this gospel and uniting Jew and Gentile under the banner of Jesus. But not only that, the second thing is this, is that's what the Holy Spirit, this is what the Holy Spirit was doing throughout the whole Bible. The whole Bible. Genesis 12, the calling of Abraham is, a, is about him being a blessing. God says that you, through you, through your seed, all nations will be blessed. It's not just for Jew, it's for everybody. And there's going to be this great oneness that happens as a result of what I'm going to do through the seed of Abraham. The book of Ruth is a book about how the great-grandmother of the great King David is going to be, is a, is a Gentile, and that's going to be the direct line of Jesus to say that even as I'm making this line of the great Savior who's to come, there's going to be Gentiles sprinkled in just so that you begin to see and understand that this is for everyone to bring unity and reconciliation, first to God and then to each other. 
The prophets tell God's people over and over and over again that you, Israel, are to be a light to the nations. That word there is Gentiles. A light to the nations, the non-Jews. In other words, Jews, listen. This is what God was saying to his people. Israel, Hebrews, Jews, listen to me. Don't operate with the way that we often operate in, in all of life. Don't operate with this mindset that says you have to be like us in order to be in. You've got to embrace our culture. You've got to embrace our traditions. You've got to embrace our habits to be in. This is what the Jews were doing in the early church. They were saying, okay, fine, believe in Jesus, but you've got to be Jewish. You've got to be circumcised, and you've got to observe Jewish holidays, and you've got to, uh, all these traditions and holidays, you've got to make sure you do all those. Fine, believe in Jesus, but it's all those things too, and we will do the same thing with our cultures. We will say, okay, fine, believe in Jesus, but if you want to be in this church, you've got to act like me, and you've got to embrace my culture and my identity and my experiences, and we devalue those around us when we say yours don't matter. We bring people into the community of God in such a way to where everything about their past matters as God is redeeming all of our pasts towards himself. It goes on and on. I, if you want, if you, it, honestly, if you'd like to see all the verses where it's so clear that this is what God is doing throughout Scripture, come find me afterwards. I'd love to show them to you. But the thread of this, the thread of this is that God has been at work from the very beginning to redeem a people unto himself of all people, all nations, of all tongues, of all tribes, for his glory. I love that we have leaders in this church. We have people in this church. We have leaders at the top. We've got Chip Sweeney, who is on our executive leadership team, has been such a great leader in this uh, for us as, as, a, as a staff and as a body of Christ, move, helping us understand what this looks like. And, and he and his, they call each other twins. He and Brian White, who's right here on the front, front row, but they, they t- they've become such brothers in Christ. from such different backgrounds, but they are living out in front of us what it looks like to have redemptive unity. Let me read to you about a a couple in our church who have lived this out so well in Peachtree Corners. Let me tell you just a little bit about Pat and Judy Quigley. Pat and Judy have lived in Peachtree Corners since moving back to Georgia in 1992. This is, this is what he's writing here. He says that we've both been politically active. Judy was a planning commissioner for our area for a couple years in the 90s. But then Pat says this. He says, uh, I've been burdened since I was a kid, nine years old, probably around that age, regarding the issue of race. I grew up in a small town in Georgia in the segregated south and saw some disturbing things as a kid that bothered me. I went into the Army immediately upon graduation from North Georgia College and as a platoon leader and company commander was promoting young black men in the enlisted ranks more often than white men because they were sometimes, oftentimes, the better soldiers. And I'm sure I was probably trying to make up for some of the disturbing experiences I I had had seen as a kid. Judy was asked to be on a committee regarding a 20-year plan for the city in early 2013 and through that, Judy met a man named Joe Sawyer. Joe was an African-American man who was a part of the city council. And Joe said this. He said, there might as well have been a railroad track down Holcomb Bridge Road with regard to how us on the south side feel about the city compared to the way you folks up around the forum feel about the city. And Pat heard that and he said, this is 2013, there is no place for perceived railroad tracks in Peachtree Corners. His heart was burdened, so he began to get Joe and a group of men, and they began to meet together 
once a month for breakfast, and it formed into a group at that time of seven men, all from different backgrounds and races and experiences, where they would begin to get together on these mornings and pray and ask God to use them to bring redemptive unity and work, the gospel work of the kingdom, to Peachtree Corners. And they still meet to this day, and, and God is using them mightily. He lists in this, I don't have time to read it, all the ways in which God has used them to bring God's reconciling work, breaking down cultural barriers so that people may see and experience the authentic Jesus. I love that story. Something that I've heard several times in my short time here at Perimeter in light of all this is simply this. I live in Johns Creek. What do you expect me to do about this? That question comes out of an assumption, a presupposition that there's not much diversity in Johns Creek. Let me show you something. This is a chart that Chip shared with our officers last Thursday night. And it just shows what God is doing here. I think this is a gift of God's grace where you see just in the last 25 years how the demographics in Johns Creek are changing. We're not even talking about the other surrounding areas that many of you live, Alpharetta or Roswell or Duluth or Norcross or Swanee or South Forsyth, wherever it may be. God is bringing people to us, around us, that aren't like us. And I'm not just talking to white people. I'm saying no matter what your background is, how quickly are you to move towards someone that is not like you? Because Jesus moved toward you in the very same way. That if uh, our, our stance before people is not, why aren't you more like me? Because the, the stance of Jesus before us as he was in heaven before he came was, why can't you be more like me? It was not that. Philippians 2 says that, that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he humbled himself and came in the likeness of man like a servant. And so is that the way that we move towards people around us, towards neighbors around us who are totally different than us? Are we moving towards them in the same way that Christ moved towards us? Are we looking at them with humility to say, I want to learn about you. I want to hear about your experience in such a way to where I might be able to be a part of your life in such a way that God's kingdom would come to bear in this relationship and in your life? Or, like I opened up with, do we carry presuppositions and judgments and prejudices with us in such a way that we won't even take the first step towards loving them because those hold us back? What do we do with this? What do we do with all this stuff? Conclusion. Overall application, I would simply say this. This is, I think, where God wants us to go with all this. And this is not just coming from me, but from our leaders as we have met as a church. Five things that we'd love to see be true is in response to where God is leading us on this topic. First is, is to repent. I'm going to come back to this one. I'm actually going to press pause on this one. I want to end with this one. Secondly, build relationships with those around you who aren't like you. And you'll see that the S is in parentheses. Maybe just one relationship. Pursue someone around you who's not like you. See what God may do. Engage your family, your children in this conversation. It's really interesting to begin to bring them in. What are you experiencing at school? What do you see? What are your hearts? Be humble. 
be a humble learner of someone else's context and experiences. I think one of the biggest things that we need as Christians is humility as we move towards others who aren't like us. Fifth, dialogue with others. Dialogue with others. Just have the conversation. See what God may do. Let me come back to the repent one. I think for some of us, God is saying, there's some attitudes that you have held and perhaps even some things that you have done or not done that I am even in this moment bringing to the surface of your heart that you may come before me and say, I'm sorry. I mean, one that comes to mind for me is, is in college, I was a part of a fraternity that would not let African-Americans in. Many of you were in college experiences where the same was true. This is in the late 1990s and 2001. We're not talking 1960 here. Where we would be a part of a fraternity where we actually wouldn't let someone into the fraternity based on the color of their skin. And I knew it was wrong. And I always, in my four years a part of that, I always felt incredibly uncomfortable with that reality of this group that I was a part of. And you know what I did? Nothing. I didn't say anything. I didn't fight for anything that I knew was right. Because of the mass movement of the culture that I was in, I didn't want to stand out. I didn't want to be labeled. I just wanted to be cool. And I needed to repent. And I have repented, and I'm deeply sorry for that part of my life. Let me go back to the prayer that Randy led us through in confession. I want to read it. Don't read it with me. I just want us to dwell on this again because this is, and I'm not trying to bring condemnation. Listen to me. The heart of repentance is not to come and wallow in self-loathing. The heart of repentance is simply to come before God and say, God, I'm pegged. You got me. I see what's true of you in in the current of your kingdom, and I'm not there, and I'm sorry. And we come cast down. You know what he does when we come and repent? He lifts our heads up, and he says, my blood covers you. It's okay, you're forgiven. Now go and be different in the power of Jesus. Listen to this prayer. It says this, you asked for my hands that you might use them for your purpose. I gave them for a moment, then withdrew them, for the work was hard. You asked for my mouth to speak out against injustice. This is where I'm pegged right here in my days in college. You asked for my mouth to speak out against injustice. I gave you a whisper. I didn't even give him a whisper. I gave you a whisper that I might not be accused. You asked for my eyes to see the pain of poverty. I closed them, for I did not want to see. You asked for my life that you might work through me. I gave a small part that I might not get too involved. Lord, forgive my calculated efforts to serve you only when it is convenient for me to do so and only in those places where it is safe to do so and only with those who make it easy to do so. Father, forgive me. Renew me. Send me out as a usable instrument that I might take seriously the meaning of your cross. The heart of this church is this, and Randy shared this with our officers on, on, in our officer meeting last week. Diversity is not the goal of this church. We will serve at the footstool of anything. We will make anything an idol, and we can make diversity an idol. Say, hey, we, let's just be a church of diversity, and then that's the end. That is not what we're aiming for. When Randy planted this church 40 years ago, he came here with a passion that Atlanta would come into an encounter with the kingdom of God. 
that Atlanta and the surrounding areas would come into it, would, would, would enter into an experience, an encounter with the kingdom of God. And so diversity is not for the sake of diversity. Diversity for the sake that people around us would come and encounter the kingdom of God. And so it's just this last thought. All we're trying to do is align our feet with God's kingdom. Here is maybe where we've been headed. And we want to go here. The kingdom is going this way. And I no longer want to go this way. I want to be with where he is leading. So let's walk in that way. Let me pray. Father, thanks for this time together. Thanks for your grace in our lives. Your work in our lives. The power of your scriptures that that bring encouragement, that bring conviction, that bring change and renewal. Thank you for Jesus and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, who have placed our faith in you. We, we thank you that your spirit is alive and at work within us to change us and to make us more into what you would have us be. Father, on this most delicate topic, we pray that we would not be a people that would be quick to say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, but we would be quick to say, Father, here I am, take my life, I surrender. Forgive me where I need to be forgiven, Lord. Help me to see the places and where I need to confess. And would you change me and make me, like the church at Antioch, little Christs for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me make this one final thought. We're gonna sing a song here called God of This City. And this is a song that we as a teaching team asked our musicians and leaders to our worship leaders to lead us in often during this series just to continue to align our hearts with what we sing to be consistent with what we preach and I want you to sing this I want you to think about what you're singing that we are asking God to do a work where we are in our places and that we really believe that the best is yet to come with what he's going to do in the places that we are you've been listening to the perimeter church podcast Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.